People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead return to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. Welcome to another episode of Bizarre Tales. Uh, this week, we haven't got Lee, or we might have Lee. We might not have Lee. He's doing his disappearing act again for today. Um, he may turn up, so we'll bear with us with that. If you hear the, the front door open and someone come in, then Lee will be joining us. However, we are joined by uh, quite a special guest today, um, author of quite a few books, co-author of uh, even more. I just went through your blog and had a look there's uh there's a fair few on there and all things supernatural and um absolutely fantastic and you know really happy to have you on the show um vala ventura welcome to bizarre tales i thank you i feel right at home (laughs) that's that's how we like to be um obviously we've had a a little bit of a, a chat beforehand and there are certain things going into the spooky season uh with halloween just around the corner what um what we'd like to talk about and my god just reading the list here of what we've got um is is fantastic and i don't think we're going to be able to cover it all um we've got mermaids banshees werewolves vampires uh what else have we got there uh, changelings yeah, yeah fairies it's quite a bit <laughs> on there so uh someone who's probably more deeply inversed into this than than we are so that's uh that's fantastic so um i thought you know, just to start off, obviously asking you a few questions about what got you into it, what uh, if you've had any any experiences to so like the the reason for Lee, for example, for many of you listening to the show probably know um, Lee's had experiences in the past that have led him down a path of investigation rather than denial. I think you you mm-hmm. sort of have a choice. Um, I have come into this as a bit of a, an amateur really, you know, with no real background of this, no personal experiences really. Um, and a bit of a skeptic, to be honest. And then as I've done more and more episodes and done more and more things, I'm beginning to notice things that I probably wouldn't have noticed mm. had I not have done shows like this. Um, so is there, you know, did you have a specific moment in time where you thought, I've got to focus on this. Definitely. And um, yeah, I remember speaking with Lee many years ago, um, kind of when we first met, he told me this like story. And I think that I, I told him it's, it's always stuck in my mind, the, the kind of creature that lived under the stairs. You've probably heard mm. that if you, yeah. So if you haven't oh, yes. heard that story, um, you, it's, it's uh, surely it's on an episode and if it's not we'll make them tell it um, i think it's we'll on about it 10 episodes in. if i'm honest yeah okay good <laughs> it's so funny i actually heard him on another show call in and tell that story i can't i think it might have been jim harold's campfire stories mm, yeah, and i freaked out i was like i remember this story this is like so yeah. great but anyway just to answer your question i mean since it is the season of the witch um if we want to go way back in time to like baby varla 
um, my mother is a witch. She's a practicing witch. She's sort of of that like Sybil Leak era of witches, um, kind of came to it naturally, had always had an interest in the occult arts and mm -hmm. developed her own, you know, kind of always had psychic abilities and developed um, her skills on her own throughout the 60s and 70s. And so as a kid, I, you know, when, when like astrology was becoming more mainstream yeah. and um, you know, a little post Aleister Crowley's big influence, but there were still some people who were part of that, um, generation. And of course you had all the, um, amazing, um, uh, sort of stories throughout world war two with, with witches and such, but in any case, so my mom, um, just kept a lot of, you know, books and things around. And so, I was exposed to the tarot, astrology, um, the metaphysical world at a very young age and knew how to use a Ouija board and how to use um, cards. And we used to do numerology and we would explore like all these different ways of doing fortune telling and things like that. Um, and so that was like very, very normal um, for me as a kid. And then combined with that, um, I did have a few experiences as a kid. Um, they became more prominent the older I got, which is not always the case. For a lot of people, they have an experience when they're a kid that they can't quite explain. And then they never really have that experience again. Or, you know, it's kind of a, like something very vivid. Maybe it's a ghost that regularly visited them as a kid. Mm. And for me, I had the the older I got maybe not the older I got but as I got into like my 20s and 30s in particular I had a lot of experiences I also lived in a few very very old houses and um was had a particularly open mind uh at that point so I think um you know it was everything from um I mean at this point I I've had you know quite i I'd say dozens, if not more, um, encounters where I've either seen something, heard something, felt something, um, something, you know, sat on the edge of the bed. And after a while, you just, you know, you can explain each thing away individually, but it's difficult to explain it as a phenomenon. It's difficult to explain it away. However, I will say it's very interesting to have people who come from much more of like a, as you said, a skeptic a skeptical background mm. because sometimes and you see this throughout the paranormal community you certainly see people who you know can become convinced I mean you saw this during the spiritualist movement which was a, a psychic arts movement really the the idea that you could speak to the dead and talk to the dead and get advice from the dead um you know, that, that really took a stronghold in particular in the U.S. post the Civil War um, through the 1930s. And at the same time, you had a lot of people who were really vulnerable. Um, and so as they were vulnerable to, um, you know, they didn't know anything about photography. And so there were some charlatans in there. And I think you still have that within this community today. And so it's important to have a skeptic to come in and kind of say, yeah, no, no, yes, that could be. Um, but yeah, for myself, I'm, uh, I'm a believer, um, by circumstance. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, well, I mean, that's, um, you know, you people brought up, you brought up around it and things like that. I mean, um, I'm, I love witchcraft. It's not something I've ever been able to 
get into. Um, but I, I mean, I love the that side of it. I mean, I myself uh, I'm pagan, so um, a lot of excellent, a lot of witches, you know, go down that that pagan route. I know um, yeah. one of my listeners um, is she classed herself as a Christian witch, which I found really strange Ooh, nice. when she said yeah, that. I didn't even uh, know that yeah. existed. So, um, I know a few, quite a few Christian witches, and actually, that's very interesting because I feel like most people do think of those things in conflict. But in my mm. experience, and I myself am not am not Christian by any means. Um, no, me But I, I, I think that when you are open to spirituality and what the spirit is, it's it's not a huge stretch to call you know something a great spirit or God, or, you know, I mean, it's yeah. not the, the, and there's quite a few people who practice witchcraft who, um, you know, incorporate the saints and incorporate, um, you know, a lot of the Roman Catholic, um, belief system in with the witchcraft. And I think that that's a, a product of, again, a product of your environment, who you're raised with and how you're raised. Um, as well as the um, undeniable connection that, you know, the, the, the Catholic church really took over a lot of pagan holidays. And so there's a lot of hybrid um, yeah. beliefs that still exist today. Now, don't judge me. I just had that really grainy tea. And so I'm going to take a slug from this bottle of whiskey. <laughs> Go for it. For those but of you I didn't want you thinking I was just hitting the bottle. <laughs> You're all right. For those of you who uh, heard that loud noise because Lee can't enter a room quietly, he has joined us. Um, Great. So I don't know if you can see him. He's, he's there. He's, he's, oh, hi. I don't want him too close to me for this. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're going rogue here. So. Yeah, we are. We, we um, I mean, we was just talking, uh, you know, before the show um, about banshees. Uh, that's, I've mentioned to you, it's one of my favorite um, things when you're talking about spirits um for me personally there's nothing scarier than a female ghost um women in general are scary enough as it is so the fact <laughs> the fact that we've got to deal with them afterwards is is uh, certainly quite daunting so um, ever after man ever after <laughs> yeah i mean um you just obviously the, the store there's so many um banshee stories and um things like that and I just wondered, do you have like a favorite? Is there a, because obviously you've done books on these and, and things like that. Do you have like a story that you think, you know, this one is is better than all the rest or one that stands out in your mind? I mean, I just kind of love Banshees in general. Um, I really love the basic concept of them. And I love that to me, even the name Banshee, which means like of the fairy mound, they really straddle that world between ghosts and fairies and I think that that's what makes them particularly interesting because they don't they don't they kind of seem like ghosts and actually their counterparts in other parts of the world are often you know it's like the woman in white or yeah. other kind of um basically uh ghosts that show up and uh warn you that someone's gonna die and that mm. is essentially a banshee's role um, in, in spite of that reputation, um, our fear of death gets factored in, of course, but in, in spite of that, they don't cause death unless you see one and you go crazy and you fall off a cliff because you've just like gone running in the night. But generally speaking, it's just that they're there to warn you that, you know, death is nigh. 
And actually, I think that makes them more scary because it's probably not your own death. It's probably going to be the death of someone that you know and love, which is way scarier, right? Like, I mean, that's just like kind of your worst nightmare. And they're not giving you you any information either, are they? No, they uh, don't tell you. It's not like, hey, you know, it's going to be little Timmy down the lane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the supernatural lottery. I mean, you know, there's obviously going to be the candidates that are like of ill health. And I think that traditionally in like a, a village setting or something, um you might have like the person who is who is ailing and then there's um there's always like those castle banshees i think i have one in this book right here but who you know when the the matriarch or the patriarch of the family is on their deathbed someone's out in the garden and they see the banshee and then you know um but i think that that combined with sort of their general um appearance which is described as somewhere between attractive and terrifying yeah (laughs) which is just great you know it's just like something that appears a lot of times and you see this also um see this is it's very difficult for me to stick with one topic when we go into this realm because they're also connected oh yeah absolutely but you see this with with mermaids at the same time you know you they they may appear as beautiful to entice you and then you know call you out into the night um and then the next thing you know you see they transform and they're particularly terrifying but banshees are usually described as being like a pale woman with dark hair. That's like the most common description. Although sometimes they're described as a little old lady, um, kind of, you know, walking down the lane, um, very, you know, seemingly human um, that then kind of turn around and drop their shawl and, you know, let you know that um, death is coming. And so you don't always realize that they're supernatural at first, I guess, is the Mm. idea there. Um, but to me, that puts them also in the category of shapeshifters. So they can be, they can take a different appearance and that can be based on place, um, certainly based on place. Because for example, in Italy, there's a lot of stories of these like women in white who appear to tell you that death is coming. And it's, it's their appearance is a very different description, but their purpose is the same as a banshee. Yeah. There's wailing associated. Um, and with the banshees, you know, there's a, a history of them being um, sort of next to water or also sometimes um, e- equated with like the washer women who are seen washing like bloody rags in a stream. And, and it's said like if you're going into battle and you see a washerwoman, it means you're going to die because she's washing actually your bloody clothing in the future yeah so um i feel like all these kind of like freaky female ghosts that also i mean technically a banshee is you know the irish banshee but there are also counterparts um throughout the world yeah so these experiences can take place and i i've had someone call in and, and describe um you know a floating head actually comes up a lot for banshees yeah just a disembodied head so i can see that that daniel is not going to sleep tonight (laughs) yeah that head will sometimes deliver a message is that that what you've heard as well yeah yeah and people can't always figure it out i mean that's the tricky thing is that i think a lot of the stories that we read about or are maybe told anecdotally 
go back a few generations when, um, for example, uh, once upon a time, all of the Irish kings and their particular castles had banshees. And these were inherited by the um, you know, future generations. So all of the in inhabitants of O'Brien's castle knew the O'Brien banshee, right? And that like not every generation could see it, but most could. Most could. Um, and so that always brings to mind like, is that an ability that you're inheriting? Or are you actually inheriting a ghost? Are you inheriting the ability to see ghosts or just you're inheriting a ghost? Yeah. Difficult to know, except then you fast forward into people who have emigrated and, yeah. and, yeah. and they have them, that experience. Them, yeah. I've, I've, uh, to be honest on that, I've always thought that like you sort of two camps on that, but I do think, I do wonder if it's a genetic, there is something within our DNA or our genetics, if you like, that, that does, because it seems to be predominantly Irish people of Irish ancestry. And you could say, well, they, these are the people that know the folklore. But I don't know, there, there seems to be something more than that, because unwitting people of just of Irish ancestry sometimes happen upon these things, you know, uh, you know obviously in, in my case, and, and, a lot, and a lot of the people in my family have experienced these weird things. So I don't know if there's some on that, but just to that point, though, because I know we was going to talk about werewolves. <laughs> and, um, okay. <laughs> it, so do you, want, do you need the question again? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, what I was saying, what I was saying before I got cut off was these these stories, like superstitions, we call them myths and all this, and it, it tends like a lot of people now, especially with the ridicule factor and all the rest of it, they don't like to acknowledge that they've seen these things and all that stuff. And, and to me, I, w I wonder if because we don't acknowledge these things they pay a less dominant role in our daily lives you know they're still there if we was to go looking for them but i mean is that sort of what your research sort of borne out that sort of the more you think about these things the more you engage with these things the more we they react with us uh, well i definitely think it depends on the part of the world that you live in that that can have a huge impact on how far removed you are from quote unquote, you know, the old ways or um, because of course, when we think about like, you know, some of these older like fairy stories and accounts of werewolves and things, it's taking you back to a time like, you know, pre-electricity, pre-television, yeah. um, pre-plane travel. So distraction yeah free computers uh so when you when you look at it like that and then when you go to somewhere like in particular let's say you go to like a, a town in um uh we're like okay uh for example um i was in peru probably about 15 years ago and there was a huge witches market um in the middle of this town square so i think that it's difficult to like make pass like a huge judgment, but I would say if we're talking about like modern, um, you know, uh, like certainly in modern American culture, but um, modern culture in general, um, very plugged in culture. What I actually think is that these things are constantly happening and we are calling them different things now. So I definitely think there's stigma attached to it. Um, it's always a relief to me when I find, you know, somebody who actually 
believes in ghosts, for example, yeah. you know, just in like your present circle, because you have all those sort of superficial people in your life. And then you have, um, you know, a couple of people that you can really talk with about this type of thing without judgment. Now, for me, it's my mother, you know, my mom's like, way, way less of a skeptic even than I am. I mean, she's, I'm not particularly skeptical, but she's, um, you know, almost to the point where sometimes I think she's vulnerable to some things because um, I think like, as I had mentioned earlier, when you have, and Lee, you might not have been here yet, um, but when you have like, um, you saw this a lot during the spiritualist movement, which took place you know, 1840 to 1930 or so. And that was also a time of great invention, right? You had a time when people were starting to have telephones and radios and electricity in their in their homes. And photography was a thing, but it was kind of not really a common thing. Like we didn't all have cameras. Um, so I think at that time, there were a lot of, um, there were, there were a lot of legitimate experiences, but there was also a lot of forgery and charlatanism. And so, and I think that that's still true today within the paranormal and supernatural community, not to dissuade anyone. You never want to be the person that dismisses someone's experience. Um, of course, because it doesn't feel good to have your experience dismissed. No. Um, and especially when you're a believer, you know, but there's definitely like, you know, you do have to have some some filters on. And I think where you live, um, how you were raised. So that doesn't mean you have to be like me raised by a witch, but if you were raised to believe that what you're seeing is real, then you may have a higher tendency to actually like believe in these stories and these things. Um, you know, one of the things that happens all the time when we're kids and we see a ghost or something as like our parents in an effort to keep us from, you know, freaking out, they tell us it's nothing to worry about. They just say, oh, you know, it's fine. Like it's, it's just make believe it was just a dream. Yeah. And that's actually incredibly damaging because especially if you're having a legitimate experience, now you're being told one, the person that you trust doesn't believe you. So that's not a good feeling. And two, you're starting to doubt your own, your own mind, not to say kids don't make things up. I mean, adults make things up too, but so I think, I don't know why I even brought that up just because I think that how you were raised and where you live are, are, are huge factors in, and, um, you know, how prevalent this is in your everyday life. Hmm. I agree. I yeah, agree. no, I agree. Especially with the kid thing. I mean, I've, I've always said to mine, if they tell me something, I always ask them to go into a little bit more detail and just see if they're bullshitting or not. But <laughs> you can normally tell if, they, if they're pretty consistent with what they say and then you ask them on a later date and they repeat the same thing. I mean, <laughs> it, like I told you before about, um, you know, Bella coming out with this, she's drawing a picture of this cave that, that, that their souls were in before they was born and stuff like that. And wow, it's like, where do you get that stuff from? If it's not, yeah, it's, that's not imagination, you know. And I could yeah. have just poo pooed it and just gone, nah, that's you know, draw a picture of a sunflower or whatever. But I didn't. I just, <laughs> I, I just listened to what she was saying, and I said, well, what's this? And she was saying, that's the man who guards the cave, and he's the man who comes in and picks the souls. And I picked my sister before we came out, and I mean, she was like three years old. That's very cool. Yeah, it's just weird, isn't it? Yeah. But again, I, yeah. I'm not. I've not been dismissive with it all. I've just listened to what they said, and some things I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit like, yeah, maybe that's not true. But 
the majority of what they've said. Oh, and when, once they know that you believe them, they will push those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. And see if they yeah. can use it to like, you know, get out of things they don't want to do. No, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean, go. fair, fair. <laughs> no. I have a question, um, and it's to do with werewolves. All right. And this is because I don't know a thing about them. Like, genuinely, other than what you see on things like Twilight, and you know, movies, which I'm sure Twilight. you... Yeah, all right. Like, You've got to remember, you got to remember, I've got a teenage, <laughs> I've got a teenage daughter, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. So Twilight is is on in my house, but um, do you know what I mean? Like, Twilight, I, Twilight phase. <laughs> yeah, we hear about dogmen in this country, yeah. and obviously, my mind is just, I I immediately thought when I heard about the, that it was just a British version of a werewolf. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I've actually had this debate numerous times with a few different prominent people in, um, you know, the paranormal community. And the, I guess, like the fundamental question there is, with dogmen, people believe that it doesn't transform, it doesn't shapeshift, it's always just this hybrid creature. Um, But I honestly think there, I, I think it's, again, it's a case of we are calling something dogman that, you know, 200 years ago, we would have just called a werewolf. Mm. Um, but there's also like less wolves. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, That's you true. got more dogs in the mix. Let's see. So I think, um, but yeah, so werewolves, it's, <laughs> werewolves is a really interesting topic because there's like a clinical diagnosis. Um, it's called lycanthropy and you can be diagnosed with it. Um, and then there's also a medical diagnosis that is kind of similar. And then there's, you know, a lot of folklore and a lot of origin stories that mix together. But the, there's a uh, basically a, psycho- a state of psychosis in which you believe that you're a werewolf. You, you believe that you're a werewolf, your behavior changes at the full moon, and people have been locked up for this, you know, for years, for, you know, a few hundred years, right? Um, and that's actually called lycanthropy. Um, and then there's other like hormonal imbalances that cause an excess of hair, you know, the bearded lady and all that type of thing. Um, so you have people who are like particularly uh, herstute, right? And then that's a whole other kind of like medical diagnosis. So we know these two things kind of take place. Um, And then you kind of get into like some of the origin stories of werewolves and what they are. And um, a lot of the research that I've done comes from two particular sources. One is from this, this guy who was, he was like a, he was a reverend and he was also a um, consulate. He was a, a, a member of the Welsh consulate and he was just this like really, kind of person that you would never think was into werewolves and he wrote the biggest book on werewolves that exists today and it's basically like not in print um but it's a huge book and it's um it's called werewolves (laughs) and and he gets into a lot of the like what today we might identify as like hormonal imbalances or deficiencies like like iron deficiencies He doesn't call them that because he didn't have the knowledge, but he was traveling around, especially going up and up north, going, you know, into the Nordic countries, going um, 
uh, into Scandinavia and he was interviewing people and talking to people. And this was like, you know, probably like 1850. And so when we think of 1850, like we think of like London or New York or San Francisco where like stuff was happening. If you go like to some rural town in, um, you know, in Norway or something in 1850, it was completely different environment, right? Like things were not as advanced. And so you had people still kind of like living the old ways and telling those, those tales. Um, so, but the main, one of the main um, arguments that this guy makes, and which is what I think gives evidence to the um, actual existence of werewolves. And I'll tell you, I felt this way myself. <laughs> so this is why I believe it. But uh, it's that anyone has the propensity, any human who has ever kind of like completely lost their mind, right? Just like gone so, even that phrase, lose your mind, like you've gotten so angry so angry at something that you completely see red and you almost don't know what you're doing now some of us have self-control some of us don't the older we get and the you know the maybe the more self-control we have but that blind rage is the same thing that can kind of snap a person and turn them into you know a murderer it's also the same thing that could actually you know turn you to have this um um beastly mindset and so instead of looking at the werewolf strictly by appearance, we're also talking about the mindset of having this like ferociousness and this out, something that's out of our own control mm. um, and then like attacking. So when you put it like that, it's like, well, sure. Like who hasn't had that experience on some level? And it starts to kind of lend some credibility to the idea that humans can shapeshift humans really can transform. Um, and then that takes us to, you know, the beautiful Vikings who used to go berserk, the berserkers who would basically work themselves into a frenzy, don, uh, you know, furs and wolf heads. And some people uh, believe that they ingested like psychotropic drugs. Other people think that they just were working off of the um, energy of, you know, pre-battle. And they basically just work themselves up into such a frenzy that they would be complete madmen. It would be like complete mayhem. And, um, you know, it was a tactic. <laughs> and that's where we get the idea of going berserk. It comes from that. But then you also have like, you know, this, this lovely little reverend coming up and he's like observing these um, rituals that may still be taking place, not necessarily for battle at that point, but just for, um, you know, the time of the year or certain symbolic um, ceremonies, you know, around a fire wearing, I mean, you can see evidence of people donning skins of animals around the world. Certainly North America, indigenous cultures still do that um, all over Europe. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's very common. Um, and so you put on these, it's like basically a costume, right? And you're um, attempting to enter into that realm. And so if you're attempting to enter in the realm of like a hawk or something, that's one thing. But if you're attempting to enter into the realm of a wolf, like that is going to transform you permanently. So if you're picking up that, you know, if you want to just say, okay, you're picking up wolf energy. So now you're kind of shape-shifting. Um, I just think there's a lot of at play between the mind and the body 
um, in those situations. And so that's, that's actually like where we get some of the very early werewolf stories are both passed down through generations, but also from like people coming and observing from an outside perspective and not understanding it. And so writing it down is like the same way witches were, you know, basically like riding the devil in the, in the, you know, dark of the night, it basically, you know, it's like observing something you don't understand, but putting this like, um, Christian slant on it that, um, you couldn't escape because that was your, your perspective. So you see that in a lot of the written work that we have on werewolves, which of course is what our Hollywood werewolf is based on. So there you go. Werewolf 101. Yeah. So it's <laughs> you based be a werewolf <laughs> the hollywood version is is pretty much nothing like what you would assume you know well from what you've to me what you what you've sort of described this it's not a complete change it's not like it's it's more more of your mindset and mm -hmm. then you've got the i mean throughout history i mean you you're talking back obviously you put said there about the the animal skins and I mean, if I remember, I think it was Caligula wore a lion skin on a, put a, a whole lion body over himself when he went into to battle. I mean, battle, to be yeah. fair, he was mad, but it was Caligula, wasn't it? You have no idea. Why am I asking you? I'm sure it was Caligula. Sounds good. <laughs> he thought he was Hercules. So it was, but yeah, they killed a lion and he put the lion skin on in um, the gladiator's ring and went out and fought. Um, but I mean, do, do, with that, I know this could sound really, you know, probably naive, but on the basis of that, of a, a human sort of transforming themselves into a certain state of mind and then dawning things like animal skins to create the illusion of becoming that animal, is it restricted to just wolves or? Oh, no, not at all. There's um, where dolphins. <laughs> um wear bears I'm sure you could wear a dolphin skin though wear, could you wear dolphin no but you do have stories of wear dolphins especially in island nations it won't be a person so here's the here's the base of like the any any werewolf story and this is also um not dissimilar in some ways to like selkies who are seals and humans or other kind of shape-shifting creatures the baseline is once upon a time you were born human and something happened and that turned you into a creature that is able to pass between the two worlds. So a were dolphin would be a person who maybe was like banished and then they became this um, dolphin that would sometimes like come back on land and, you know, whatever if it's a scary story then it's gonna be you know a dolphin <laughs> a scary dolphin i don't know dolphins are a little bit scary but there are there are stories of where dolphins where sharks um uh bears um coyotes but werewolves are probably just the most popular because i think that they somehow they made that leap from sort of being um, not, a, not an esoteric concept, but a spiritual practice to becoming something uh, frightening. And I really think it started happening around the same time that, I mean, 
people were afraid of witches and werewolves and vampires and all kinds of supernatural things, especially during the Middle Ages, you know, and people are ingesting ergot and seeing all kinds of things. And, you know, vampires got the same bad rap that witches did then. You know, if you weren't, couldn't be accused of witchcraft, you could be accused of one of these other things. There's quite a few stories of like murderous rampages that are attributed to um, being werewolves. But then as that evolved and maybe as people became more connected and travel became easier, you know, the train came about and you could actually take a train from Siberia to Helsinki or whatever, you know? So you, I don't know if you can actually get to Helsinki on the train from Siberia, but you got I like, thought so, yeah. I would think so, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not entirely sure. But in any case, um, communication and connection became, um, more common and just as sort of Bram Stoker kind of fueled the, fl the flames of Dracula with his novel, you also had people who were starting to write about werewolves in that same way. One of them was is this wonderful, um, kind of like my other primary source for older werewolf stories. And he was an Irish writer named Elliot O'Donnell. And he, I have a, actually have an old book of ghost stories that um, are his stories. And he wrote a lot about banshees as well. But he also wrote about werewolves and kind of that transformation um, that people go through like in their heart, like where you kind of change fundamentally as a person for whatever reason. And a, and a lot of the werewolf origin stories have to do with being banished because you did something against the rules. And so you're banished. And so you're kind of on the outskirts. And then once, uh, you know, once a month, you can transform and be among people. And then somehow that got transposed into being normal and then turning into a werewolf. Um, but I also think that you're talking about people who didn't have a full grasp of what mental illness was. And I mean, ask any person who works in a hospital or an emergency room, and they'll tell you, you know, in law enforcement, the full moon is like the crazy time. Mm. And so the full moon is naturally associated with um, just our emotions being, you know, at, at a lunacy. Yeah, lunacy. I mean, just being being at a peak. Um, but that one guy, Sabine Baring Gould, who wrote that story, he's got these incredible accounts of like, lycanthropic streams where you basically like drink from the water and it transforms you into a werewolf and then you have to eat this particular herb and it'll be the antidote to being a werewolf and just like I mean he traveled all over I think primarily um, Europe and maybe some in North America like documenting werewolves and and it's it's pretty interesting because I think by recording them, although he had his like very, you know, reverendy Christiany point of view, he caught some stories that may have been um, lost to time, and that kind of goes with something you had asked Lee of just like losing losing those stories, and at what point is it just like a stigma? I mean, like a lot of people suppressed their ability to practice witchcraft so that they weren't killed, and I think that that you know. The psychic arts um, were certainly persecutable. Possibly. So if, if you were going walking around saying like, well, I could transform you into a werewolf, then, you know, you're, you're probably going to be not alive anymore. It, it would you say, I mean, it, it would just, I mean, for me, it's interesting that we have, 
the Bigfoot and we have the Dogman, which are kind of two cryptids that, you know, get banded around quite, I don't want to say common, but let's just say they are. No, they're definitely the more common yeah, cryptids. Bigfoot more than, more than Dogman. But in, is it in, well, it's interesting to me that we still, the people I've spoke to that have seen a Dogman, especially in the British, British Isles, they nearly always come down to it being supernatural rather than although it, it, it seems to be flesh and blood at the time they, they always they always believe it has some sort of supernatural element to it even now you know which is again going hand in hand with the, the werewolf uh, although they're not they're not trying to say it's someone that's you know changed into a, a beast but we don't know that for sure but they do they do have this element of supernatural you know wow. and they surround it whereas when they see the wild man again i'm talking about the british isles not so much in america because i think it's slightly different but when the when they see the wild man in the uk it's just the wild man it's a it's a basically like it's neanderthal it's a it's a caveman it's a do you know what i mean that sort of thing mm -hmm, it's it's, mm -hmm. it's not supernatural in any way i know in america it's slightly different because we get we get to, um mm. people talking about it being it being able to cloak it being able to teleport and all that sort of stuff i don't know about the mind speak i think that's maybe a natural that's probably a natural thing i think i think a lot of some animals can probably do that we just don't know but um but yeah it, it, do you think i mean do you think it's interesting that people these are everyday people that see these things but still give it that supernatural slant even though it's physical it's there yeah yeah well i i don't think it's it's necessarily not supernatural because i think what happens is as soon as you cross into that realm so if that's you doing something you know ritualistically to put yourself in this other mind frame you know what you're doing you're going into that cave you're going into the you know the the fairy cave you're going into that other realm whether it's just mentally or you know somehow you stumbled into it and so i think that brings the supernatural to it because it said like all of these creatures right um the question that everyone wants to know is are these creatures just around us all the time and we just can't see them or do they only show themselves once in a while or like what's going on with that you know and we don't really know but we know that fairies have the ability to clo to cloak right like that's kind of you know Manon MacLear was the the son of the sea god who gave the fairies the ability to um, hide themselves so that they wouldn't be persecuted by humans anymore because they were like in battle right for the islands so they were like okay well we'll go underground and they were going to leave completely and he said well don't leave why don't you just take this magic cloak and this will this will protect you when you need to be protected so when we think of how, you know, people seeing these things like it's just such a fine line between saying something supernatural and like, you know, having that experience. We just don't know what else to call it. So that's why we're calling it something supernatural. And I don't say that as like that being bad. Like I love all things supernatural. It's kind of like my entire life is based on that. <laughs> so not critiquing that, but I do think like if we don't understand it, we're gonna just put a label on it. And so, um, but I also think that they're legitimately supernatural creatures. I mean, they're coming through and, and showing themselves for whatever reason, no one knows why. Um, for a lot of people, it's really scary. For some of us, you know, it's transformative. And for some of us, it's like, well, I didn't see it, <laughs> you know, so um yeah i mean i don't know like it, it's interesting what people will 
I really ran into that a lot um, because I always like to ask people about their personal experiences. And when I was writing that mermaid book, I had such a hard time getting people to come forward and talk to me about a mermaid experience that they may have had um, or any kind of like sea creature or monster or anything like that. But once the book was out, I did have a few people who um, told me some, one lady's story is like, basically kind of like a ghost or alien encounter, the way she described it with this like merman, um, you know, kind of like appeared in her room with glowing eyes. And, um, uh, you know, she kind of woke up and was like, saw this thing at the foot of her bed. So I... I think it's just really, I, I thought that was so interesting. It's like people would not come forward and talk about that, right? Because I do think people will talk about ghosts a lot more comfortably and more commonly. But if you walk around and you tell them you saw a leprechaun or you saw a very small fairy creature or you saw something, you know, transform from a rock into a little person and scurry across your yard, like no, like they, people start, really questioning your sanity at that point and so it's not something that you necessarily would drop into like business conversation and so we just don't really have words or language to talk about that I mean that's we do because we have shows like this that help people talk about these things um but I mean sometimes if we don't we're, we're really into labels right like we humans love to label things and um we also like to dig things up and pull things apart and look inside them. And, you know, sometimes the only way to really understand something is to leave it alone. Yeah. yeah. I right. Think do, I say think that about your own, your own kids. <laughs> yeah, I think we do that ourselves. We sort of self-regulate, regulate ourselves, you know, when we see something out the corner of our eye or we see something, we go, ah, it was just this. It was just, the, it was just the wind. Yeah. It was just, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? We try and rationalize Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And we, we don't even know we're doing it half the time. We just do it automatically. And it's in, and it's only later on when someone else, like two people see the same thing. And then one person will say to the other person, did you see that? And then, then it's only then when they go, yeah, actually, I did see that. But if it was on their own, they'd just say, oh, it's the wind. You know? Yeah. Oh, we, absolutely. We, how many times does the wind move your keys? Yeah. You know I mean? Well, as like I said, when, I mean, I yeah, had exactly. that experience. I don't know if, I don't know how well versed you are with the show, but, when I, I, we, we've, we've got a road near us that's quite well known for supernatural um, and, you know, sightings. There's quite a lot of things there. And I remember driving down there once and seeing what I could only describe as a scarecrow. It was there one minute. When I went round the bend, I looked back and it wasn't there. And it was, I just, you know, didn't put it down to anything. And then when I started doing this show and talking to Lee and, things like that. And you sort of think, well, you know, you, you start to think about the fear that I had. So, I mean, I've never been scared mm. looking at a scarecrow, but driving right. towards this thing, <laughs> I locked my doors. You know, I, I put my main beams on to, to, there was something about it that I, I didn't know what it was, but there was something about it that gave it that, that fear but like as humans we we've always since the dawn of time tried to rationalize everything that we do um so it's well, maybe not so much in the early days but 
you know, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Except, except, unless you can call, like, if I hit this over the head with the rock, it dies and I can eat it ration. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a reason, yeah. you know? That's probably just, like, kind of stringing things together. But that is a, actually a really key um, element of a lot of supernatural experiences. The when you're having them, you're just like, this is, you don't necessarily think I'm having a supernatural experience right now. Yeah. You're thinking what did like, what happened? Like, for example, I've had a lot of experiences where something has like hit me in the forehead or tapped me really hard on the shoulder. Never, never where it hurts. Like I'm like, Oh, that, you know, it's trying to like scratch me to death or anything, but just like a real, like one time I got this like thwack in the middle of my forehead. I, I was just like, I wonder if that was my grandma just like wake up, you know? And I couldn't, I woke up, I couldn't explain it. And my, I had this chilled spot on my forehead and I'm looking up at the ceiling like surely something dripped from the ceiling you know it's three in the morning uh, maybe my roof leaked I get up I turn the light on everything I think of is a rational thing until okay. I turn the light off and realize you know and usually then you're just like tired and you go to sleep but you start thinking about it and that's a lot of times when the adrenaline starts to kick in which is also when we are retelling our stories to others right so that supernatural element you're telling the story because it kind of freaked you out and you need someone else to hear it, right? So you're like, okay, so I saw this, like, I might've been a werewolf. I'm not really sure. And so I think that um, it's like, we have this shared experience of, um, you know, telling the stories and that in itself kind of puts us in this frame of mind to, um, to shape shift into another realm, right? We're like suspending. So you tell me that you see a freaky scarecrow. Now, immediately in my mind, I can see on the road, I can see this freaky scarecrow. And I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, there's no way this guy saw a scarecrow. I'm like in the car with you, like lock the doors. Like, so I'm actually having that shared supernatural experience with you just by the art of, of, of retelling that story. And that's a key um, strand to all of the stories and all of the the supernatural in the other realm is like if they're if they probably won't ever go away completely right because this if you believe this realm exists it exists but if people aren't telling those stories and talking about those experiences and as i had said earlier like calling things something different now that 300 years ago someone might have written down as a demon you know now we might call it you know hobgoblin or something right so like there's there's different words that we use for different creatures and different things that happen but they're very similar experiences over time and i think you even have that with like ufos and like the loss of time and the fairy realm and the loss of time there's all those old old stories of mm -hmm. like falling asleep on the fairy mound and then like never like like waking up and you're you know clothes are all tattered and you're all worn out and you're starving and you've actually been in the woods for a month and a half wandering around mm. and everyone's been looking for you but really you were in the fairy realm dancing until you dropped <laughs> and then you have people who have this kind of like you know the the loss of time now i don't know what to say about like the abduction element of that because i i think that's a little bit of a of a different category um but you still do have like a lot of similarities in the words that were used you know 100 years ago 200 years ago are different than the words we use now 
people never would have been able to fathom a flying airplane, let alone some kind of giant ship in the sky. So what are you going to call that? You're going to call that like, you know, a vision or a smoke. You'll become a saint. You probably get sainted, <laughs> persecuted and then sainted. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you think you look back through history and the changes of, of it, you know, the way things are interpreted and, and the way things are written down. And again, when things are written down as well, I mean, you only need to look at things in the Bible, for example. I've said this, I mean, my family's very religious. And I've said this right from the start. You know, if you read things in the Bible and then interpret them with a modern eye, you, suddenly you've got a very different story. So, you know, the things they say, um, I don't know if this is a Bible quote now, I'm going to say it, but um, came down from the sky in a chariot of fire mm. and things like that. And I'm not sure if that's a Bible quote or if it's. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 yeah. So, I mean, that to me, that is, if you saw. A spaceship come down would you you know your only frame of reference of something that moves that fast as a chariot it looks like it's on fire because it's entered the atmosphere you know i mean that sort of thing yeah, yeah you know, you, exactly the, exactly the interpretations didn't, of things have close encounters as a reference no. point <laughs> it's, it's really weird and rebranding and again well, that's what we'll probably see with the dog man and like you say the werewolf if we are seeing like a rebranding of I love that. The rebranding of the werewolf. Yeah. Hey, there's your article title. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a secret. But we uh, but yeah, obviously we know you, you've got a run light, so um yeah, obviously we should end here. But is this I mean, is there a book coming out? Is that what is that what the werewolf is? No, that's this is actually it's an it's an older book that I wrote, Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night. And I actually wrote that um along with the mermaid book, like at the um at the same time. Um, so actually right now, my most recent book, I think so last we talked, Lee, um, I had just had the fairy book come out, I think fairies, pukas and changelings. And so since then I've had one other book come out, it's called, um, Barla Ventura's paranormal parlor. And it's all about seances, the psychic arts, and kind of, kind of the history of some of the, um, psychic arts along with hauntings. Um, there's quite a few shared ghost stories and, um, it just kind of something that you said in the, in the very be beginning, Dan was like that, you know, you kind of came to this with a little bit of like, like not having personal experience and, but having an interest, but being a little mm. skeptical. And I have a few stories in there from some fairly well-known like podcasters and writers and um, just within the paranormal community who came at it from a very similar point of view and had some profound experiences. And so those are in the book. And um, there's one chapter in particular that is all about, and this is what my next manuscript is about. It's not a book yet, so um, I have to pitch it. Um, so if there's any publishers out there that are interested, <laughs> um, but there's a whole uh, there's a whole facet of it's an intersection of women's history and the history of the uh, paranormal and the supernatural and the psychic arts, and it's basically that during that spiritualist movement a lot of women in particular were able to express themselves using the template of ghosts or channeling. Um, and some of them to great success. And this was a time when women, you know, they didn't have the right to vote. They didn't have 
the mean, you know, if you, you either married well, or, you know, you, you married up, you married down, you were a scullery maid, you know, you didn't have like that many choices, but this was a way kind of a reputable way because the people in the upper echelons of Victorian society had parlors and they would host you. So anyway, that's the next book as I'm, I've been working on a manuscript kind of just about those, those, um, you know, wild women of the occult, I guess. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can only say uh, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you very, very much for thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And always a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and um, happy Halloween. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. I'll be back.